doubting God and wrestling with God is inappropriate and unacceptable. Lie. What I said is just wrong. Definitely makes the top 10 list of lies Christians often believe. Here's what's true. Doubt is normal. Let that free you this morning. Doubt is normal. Wrestling with God and the hand that he's dealt us in life is normal. William Craig said it like this, any Christian who is intellectually engaged and reflecting about his or her faith will inevitably face the problem of doubt. Notice in that quote, the problem of doubt. It is a problem, but not something to be ashamed of or hidden. But it must be dealt with, or it will eat you alive. And in that vein, all questions and wrestlings are welcome here. I'd love to talk to you about anything you're wrestling with. But how can we wrestle well with God? It's not if. It's when we wrestle. How can we do it well? See, everyone wrestles with God. Everyone wrestles with the hand. The life deals them. The question is, are we wrestling well or not? And so... This morning, we're going to compare and contrast how Jesus wrestled with his Father and how the disciples wrestled with God. And they're very different. And so if you'll turn with me to Luke 22, verse 39. That's where we're picking up, Luke 22, verse 39. And this is part of this series where we just fast-forwarded. We've been going through the book of Luke. We fast-forwarded, started last week to the end of Jesus' life, at the end of Luke, and here we are this week, and we're getting almost to the end, crescendo, it's a musical term, meaning things get louder and louder and louder and louder, and it's it's like Jesus' life is just getting more and more loud. It's leading up to his crucifixion and then resurrection, and that's where we're going to land on Easter, of course, but but today, we're going to see Jesus wrestling. And we're going to see the disciples wrestling. And, and see, while you're getting there, Luke twenty two thirty nine. 39. Here's what I know this morning. I know that there are people sitting in this room who are going through horrific things right now. And if this is you, the things I'm about to say and the things you see in this scripture are not meant to be trite, quick fixes for you. Okay. Rather, it's meant to be help along the journey of healing. And I give you permission, if this is you this morning, maybe to just take one thing and leave the rest. Because it's hard. When, when life is terrible, I think God just gives us these little bite-sized nuggets to hang on to to kind of help lead us along to the next part of that journey of healing. But if this is not you, you're like, nah, that's not me this morning. I'm not, life isn't too bad. You know, it's hard, but you know, not terrible. I would say this message is even more important for you. And here's why. Listen well. Your theology, your understanding of trials and of suffering now will directly affect 
and determine how you handle them later. Your theology, your understanding of God and the way that he works in amidst trials and suffering will directly affect how you handle them tomorrow. So now is the time to get our theology and understanding correct. So let's look at Luke 22, starting in verse 39. How do we see Jesus wrestling right away? Verse 39, he, Jesus, went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. Now, real quick note, okay? It says, as usual, he's going to the Mount of Olives. It says that because Jesus usually spent his nights in Jerusalem, when he was in Jerusalem, out at the Mount of Olives. And you're like, so what? Why does that matter? Well, we're going to see soon. This is how Judas knows to lead the mob to him. Okay, This is how Judas knows where to lead them because Jesus is usually out here at night. So it is an important detail that they make their way as usual to the Mount of Olives. And verse 40, when he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, being in anguish. He prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. How did Jesus wrestle with the hand that God dealt him? He prayed. He prayed. Before he even prays, he tells his disciples to pray too. Verse 40, he tells them, pray that you don't fall into temptation. He's probably referring back, if you look at 22 verse 31, Jesus says that Satan has asked to sift Peter like wheat. So we get a glimpse into the the spiritual realm, the spiritual unseen world, the things that are going on at this time. Satan is asking Jesus if he can sift Peter like wheat. So you can imagine why Jesus would say, hey, you better be praying. You better be alert spiritually because temptation is real. And it's like Jesus is saying, hey, look, you guys are about to go through it. And they are. So pray, depend on God, get your heart right before God, prepare yourself for this. But Jesus is not only telling them to pray for their sakes, he's telling them to pray for his sake because he's about to go through it. He's about to be tried, beaten, crucified. Jesus, God himself, get this, asks close friends to pray for him When life is hard, how much more should we? How much more should we, who are not God, ask for prayer from close friends when life is hard? When we're wrestling with the hand that God deals us. This should be one of the first steps we take. Invite others into that. Let them in. So he tells his disciples to pray. Then he goes and prays himself. And he prays very honestly. Beginning of verse 42. Father, he says, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. 
He asked politely. He asked respectfully, if you are willing, yet very honest. Take this cup away from me. I don't want it. Now, what is this cup? And why doesn't he want it? Well, C.J. Mahaney helps us with this. We handed out a devotional last week. Um, and if you come to me after the service, we may have a couple extras um, that I could hook you up with. But um, handed out a devotional to help us get our hearts right uh, around the crucifixion of Jesus. And just focus on that during this season. But in day four, if you read it this week, it was called The Cup. And I'm just going to read from it. It says, C.J. Mahaney, he says, The cup is a clear reference to the wrath of God for your sins and for mine. Isaiah 51.17 shows us this cup in God's extended hand. It's the cup of His wrath, and for those who drink from it, it's the cup of staggering. This cup contains the full vehemence of fierceness of God's holy wrath poured out against all sin. In the vivid imagery of the Old Testament, this cup is filled with fire and sulfur and a scorching wind, like some volcanic firestorm, like all the fury of Mount St. Helens eruption concentrated within a coffee mug. No wonder scripture says that tasting from this cup causes the drinker to stagger and be crazed. No wonder that when Jesus stares into the detestable vessel, he stumbles to the ground. He's brought face to face with the abhorrent reality of burying our iniquity and becoming the object of God's full and furious wrath. See, now we see why Jesus is begging His Father, to take this cup away from me. All the fury of a volcanic eruption, Mount St. Helens in a coffee mug. He's saying, get this away from me. It's not just the physical pain here that he is not looking forward to. Of course he's not. But he is going to bear every single punishment for every single sin that you've ever done, that I've ever done, plus every other human sin here on earth now and every other human sin in the past or in the future. In a cup. That's what he's staring down. Jesus was honest with God. He wrestled. He didn't downplay his situation in prayer. Oh, it's going to be fine. It's all good. No, it wasn't all good. And it's not going to be fine. He's gut honest about how he felt about what was coming. Why did he do that? did it to be an incredible example for us you see if jesus can be that honest you certainly can too we need to quit sugarcoating our prayer prayers and not addressing the true wrestlings of our heart with god because guess what he knows you better than you know yourself he already knows your thoughts you're not fooling him you're only fooling yourself and missing out on relationship with him intimacy with him we need to start praying more prayers like this with God dear God this sucks and if you're willing get this out of my life God invites those types of prayers he's honest but next we see that he's selfless end of verse 42 nevertheless Not my will, but yours be done. 
See, Jesus honestly prays for what he wants, for this cup to be taken, but then he doubles down on the respect. He said before, if you're willing, but now he's like, no, really, if you're willing, you know what's best. I surrender, as we just sang, is what he's saying, essentially. I surrender to you, your plan. You know what's best, God. As Ryan Graydon helped us understand a few weeks ago, With the Lord's prayer, our prayers are office our 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 prayers are are pretty selfish very often. We ask, we ask, we ask. We ask for things that, that are all about me, that are all about you. And yes, we should keep asking, we should keep being honest, but we should very much be humbly, selflessly bowing to his will even if his will is the opposite of what we want or the opposite of what we ask. It was for Jesus. Take this from me. He didn't take it from him. All he heard was silence. Jesus wrestled with God's heart, but but notice, Jesus doesn't wrestle with God's heart to win. Okay? Jesus wrestled with God in order to get his heart aligned with God's heart. Now Jesus, of course, already had a perfect heart. So what is he doing? Again, he's setting an example for you and I. We should wrestle with God not to win, but in order to get our hearts aligned with his. And think about it for a second. How cool is it that God allows us to do that? How cool is that? I mean, he could just say, shh, surrender, submit. I don't want your honest thoughts. Be quiet. He doesn't do that. Instead, he invites raw emotion to help us align our hearts with his. It's so gracious of him. But there's even more to this prayer. So he's, he's honest, he's selfless, but then he's, he's passionately distraught. It gets even more Honest, more raw, passionately distraught. Verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. But being in anguish, he prayed more fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. How amazing. Jesus here is strengthened by an angel, but still is so grieved, is so shaken, is so shook up by this situation that he still sweats like drops of blood. Passionately distraught in prayer. See, Jesus was passionate in prayer, right? It said he he prayed more fervently. He's emotionally crying out. He's pleading with God, begging with God. But he wasn't just passionate. He was distraught. He was beside himself. Just being in anguish. See, Jesus was beside himself. For, and, and by just the thought of what was coming, he's just, he's undone. It said his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now note here that this is not a medical condition. It wasn't actually blood. It was like blood. The point is that he was so nervous 
that his sweat became a little different. Now, I think we all can understand this a little bit. Um, I'll tell you how I can understand this. I think I've had something like this. Um, So for some of you, coming up and doing what I'm doing right now would make you sweat like drops of blood, okay? For me, it doesn't really do it. Um, For some reason, don't have a problem with it. But when I'm going into a meeting where I know we're talking about some really weighty things, there's going to be some tension, like it's going to be difficult, that is where I've experienced that, where you're, you're, sweat, you're sweating more, you're pitting out, and you, it like even smells different, not to get too weird or graphic with you, but yeah, I think you all know what I'm saying, or what, like when adrenaline's really pumping, whenever you're, you know, you, you've had this, and you're just like, this is different, like that, that deodorant is not cutting it today, you know what I'm saying? So this, this is the type of sweating that's going on here. And the point is that Jesus experienced that. He was distraught. He was both passionate and distraught in prayer. And here's the call to us. You can and should be passionate and distraught in your prayers at times in your life. When God deals you a hand that's insanely difficult, maybe the passing of a loved one or an intense conflict with other people or sickness or disease or abuse, trauma, PTSD, whatever, God invites you to be passionately distraught. How incredibly gracious is our God that he lets us do that. How incredibly kind. He doesn't go go rub some dirt on it, quit your blubbering. No, he invites it. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. That's what he says. This is our God. See, Jesus, Jesus wrestled with the hand that God dealt him. And he invites you to do the same. He's honest. He's selfless. He's passionately distraught. But in contrast, now let's look at the disciples who wrestle with the hand that God deals them. Verse 45, when he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. Okay, how do the disciples wrestle with the hand that God dealt them? They slept. They slept instead of praying. He found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Now, it's understandable why they were sleeping. Think of the context. What just happened? Well, last week we learned, beginning in chapter 22, in one meal, they learned that Jesus is about to die and that one of them is going to betray him and that another one is going to deny him three times. So you can understand why they're distraught and grieving and would want to take a nap. Like, I get it. This is what just happened, and now here they are, a couple hours later. They're emotionally exhausted. They're, they're grieving the coming loss of their leader and Savior, Jesus, and they're anxiously anticipating perhaps themselves betraying or denying Jesus. They were dealt a terrible hand, for sure. But Jesus specifically instructed them before to pray, but instead they sleep. Instead of wrestling with 
God in a healthy way. They wrestled with God in an unhealthy way. Sleeping. But it's not physical sleep that was unhealthy. That maybe was actually pretty good for them. And it is good for you in crisis situations to get some sleep. What's wrong about this is that they were spiritually sleepy. Not just physically sleepy. Because they ignored their desperate need for God. They ignored the, the command from Jesus. Hey, pray. And he goes away and they just fall asleep. They're ignoring the imminent spiritual danger and temptation that's going to hit them. See, Jesus, in contrast, was also exhausted. But he wasn't sleepy. See, rest. Get this. Rest is found ultimately not in physical sleep. It's helpful But rest is actually found in resting in and wrestling in prayer with God. That's where our rest is found. Our greatest need when God deals us a difficult hand in life is actually prayer, intimacy with God. And our greatest enemy when God deals us a difficult hand in life is prayerlessness. You see up up here we have that chart going yeah, just keep these up here. Go, go a couple more across. He prayed. He slept. Yep, just keep this up here the rest of the time. Keep adding them. Um, so it isn't that the disciples were sleepy, okay? It's that they were prayerless. They were spiritually asleep. See, we need to wrestle with God by staying alert spiritually. Jesus was exhausted and he was not sleepy. See, I'm, I'm less concerned with someone who's in a crisis situation when I'm sitting with someone who is just going through it. You know what I mean? I'm less concerned when I hear them say things like, God, what are you doing? When I hear them say things against God that are borderline disrespectful. I'm less concerned about that because guess what? They're, they're, they're at least addressing God and talking about God. I get real concern when God is not even mentioned or addressed. That is a dark place to be. That is a hopeless place to be. See, prayer is so important, not mainly because God says to do it. Prayer is so important mainly because it's our lifeline. It's our oxygen. It's our light, our joy in all circumstances. This is the key to contentment. So we need to resist the siren call to prayerlessness when wrestling with the hand that God deals us. Don't don't fall asleep like the disciples. Stay engaged in relationship with our loving Father, even when you don't understand, even when you're upset at Him. Wrestle with Him. Fall asleep. How else did the disciples wrestle? They attacked. Verse 47. While He was still speaking, suddenly a mob came, and one of the twelve named Judas was leading them. He came near Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now here's the most obvious attack, right? Judas betrays Jesus. He literally led a mob to Jesus to arrest, try, and eventually kill Jesus. 
Now remember, Judas is one of the 12, one of the 12 closest people to Jesus on this earth. And so when, even when Judas gets close with God, Jesus, he's tempted to attack the very hand that led him and loved him to this point. See, that's how sinful and messed up not just Judas is, but we all are. Here's a scary thought for me and for you. We're more like Judas at times than we're not. When God deals you a hand you don't like, do you attack him? Maybe not outright attack, but do you go, fine, God. You want to do that to me in my life? Fine, I'm living life my way. Sin, 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 and then end up worse than before because we troubled our own trouble. I mean, we've all done it. This is where Judas ends up. He attacks. Next, we see like an a actual attack. Keep reading with me. Verse 49, when those around him saw what was going to happen. They asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. So my first thought is here, what a terrible shot. Ear? Like, that's not even close. Okay, I'm no swordsman, but if you're going for their heart, you missed a little bit, dude. A lot of it. And we learn from the book of John, the Gospel of John, that this is Peter, which is very in line with Peter, if, you, if you've read the Gospels, okay? He's kind of a, a loose cannon at times. Um, and Peter, before Jesus answers whether to attack, is just wildly swinging his sword. Attack mode. Peter, when he's faced with an unfavorable hand, he fights. And now, here's the thing. Peter's motives were probably golden, Okay? He was, he was probably wanting, I'm going to protect Jesus. I'm going to fight for what's right, right? I mean, I, I think his heart was gold. The problem is that Peter attacked as a reaction, not as an action of obedience. Peter didn't stop to wrestle or even listen to Jesus, right? Because they asked, someone asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? He doesn't hear a thing and he just goes for it. And in so doing, almost causes a bloodbath. We're going to get to Jesus' response in a moment, which is incredible, but just know that Peter just attacks. So when God deals you a hand that you don't like in life, do you get so frustrated that you just react? Do you do the first thing that comes to your mind without ever consulting God or His Word? Do we just let our circumstances and feelings take over and sometimes even well-intentioned, even with godly zeal like Peter has here, we just get reactive instead of actively seeking God first? And, and just to be frank with you all, I, I battle with this almost daily. Something happens that's not right because we live in a world that's not right. And so, so I see that something happens that's not right. And I go into male fix-it mode in my head. And at my worst, I fix it without consulting God much at all and then sometimes end up creating more chaos. I don't like that about me. 
and I'm taking some drastic steps right now to get help for this area of my life and have been for a year, couple years now. You can pray for me to that end, but God's teaching me more and more, and I would commend this to you, what I call the 24-hour rule, and that's, that's just this. Most things in life, you don't need to react to for at least 24 hours. Some things, it's detrimental for you not to act right away, for sure. But for most things, it's not. And that's a hard lesson to learn. That's a really hard lesson for me to learn, apparently. But it helps us not to react like Peter, but rather to act in accordance with God, to wait for his word, to get some advice from other godly people. The next attack we see isn't what you think of as an attack, but it is Peter denies Jesus three times. Verse 54, they seized him, Jesus, and led him away and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance, and they lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, this man was with him too, but he denied it. Woman, I don't, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, this, this man was certainly with him since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. At first glance, this doesn't seem like an attack at all. It seems like the opposite of an attack. But if you think about it, this is an absolute assault on the, on the hand that God dealt Peter. Peter denies even knowing Jesus. Jesus, in his darkest hour, is abandoned by his friend. He's trying, to, he's trying to just go, this isn't happening, this isn't happening, I'm out, I'm out, this isn't happening, I can't take this, I don't even know him. And in so doing, attacks instead of accepts. See, when God deals you a hand you don't like, do you shut down as well? Because that's what he's doing, he's shutting down. We attack God sometimes by denying Him in various ways. Sometimes we, we pull away from Christian community, right? Or at least we're very quiet. We become very quiet and not as honest. And we think to ourselves, oh, I'll be honest again. I'll go back once I get myself together. Do you hear the deceit in that statement? Christian community is designed to help us in those very hours. If we, if we all just show up to, to connection group, Bible study, to, to, being, to, to just hanging with other friends, to church, when we got it all together, why would we need Jesus? We've all, we're all the saviors then. No, but we absolutely need Jesus. And we're not the savior. 
We don't have it all together, and that's when you need community the most. But this is what we do, right? This is natural to us. We start to shut down. We start to deny Jesus in that way. Other times, we, we deny Jesus by just, we, we're just going to stop talking to him, or at least I'm not going to talk to him the way that I did before, kind of give him the cold shoulder. Other times, we just start letting our convictions from the Bible start to erode. And we let ourselves fall into behaviors that we know are wrong, that we know are sinful, and we just start to justify them and explain them away. And before we know it, when we do these types of shutting down, we, we've shut God almost entirely out of our lives. Attacking by denying instead of accepting the hand that God has dealt us. And that leads us back to Jesus. Jesus wrestles with the hand of God by accepting Jump back up to verse 51. Okay, Peter just cut the dude's ear off, 51. But Jesus responded, no more of this. And touching his ear, he healed him. Jesus brings restoration and healing in the middle of the attacking. Jesus could annihilate this whole mob with the blink of an eye, but he chooses to restore and to heal. There's our example. When life is seemingly attacking and people around us are reacting all around us, Jesus invites us to pause with him and then to act in restorative, counterintuitive, countercultural ways, gentle, wise, passionate for the right things at the right time ways. Jesus accepted by restoring. Jesus accepted also by submitting to God's plan, to God's hour. Verse 52. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, temple police, and the elders who had come for him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal? Every day while I was with you in the temple, you never laid a hand on me. But this is your hour and the dominion of darkness. So Jesus, Jesus first boldly calls them out for their cowardice of attacking him privately. Because they had a chance. He says, you had a chance to attack me publicly a ton. And now you guys are being cowards and coming in private. But then, he just submits to it. But he's ultimately not submitting to this mob. He's submitting to, quote, your hour. He's ultimately submitting to God's plan. For them to arrest and crucify him. He doesn't put up a fight physically. He doesn't put up a fight verbally. He willingly accepts God's hour. God's perfect, mysterious plan. Jesus wrestled with God in prayer. But then he accepted God's will and God's plan. So when life is seemingly waging war against you. And you're handed a cup of terrible to drink in life. God invites you to wrestle with him openly and honestly in prayer, but then to accept it, not fight it. And sometimes that journey takes years. And there's grace for that process. But the sooner we learn to accept it, the sooner we actually start to experience true joy, true contentment, true satisfaction in the only one who can give it to us. 
So look at this. I put these kind of sliders up here, uh, not as any, anything significant as to where they're at, but just to show us, hey, we're all the time on this spectrum. When life hands us something, we are, we are being pr- prayerful, more prayerful, or we're being more prayerless, spiritually asleep, or we're attacking what God is doing in our lives, or we're accepting. And here's the goal. The goal is that as our life would continue following Jesus, that that slider would just get inched closer and closer this way. But it is impossible to pray and to accept like Jesus because you're not Jesus and neither am I. But with Jesus, you can inch this slider closer and closer. With is the key word. With Jesus. Him with you makes all the difference. So I want to invite you to do something. This is kind of strange, but I want you to take out your phone and if you can go to the next slide. I have a quote for you. I want you to take a picture of this and think about it this week. Pray about it. Do some wrestling with God about this. Louis Giglio, he said, You don't need to pray anymore. God, I'm in a storm. Help me. Instead, you pray, God, I'm in a storm. Thank you for being in this storm with me. You've got my back. How are we going to get through this together. You hear that? It's him with us. It's not God, get me out of this as soon as possible. No, it's God. I'm in it. And I definitely need your help, but what I need more than your help is to know that you're here with me and your reassurance that you're here with me. And God, how are we going to get through this together? But we're going to get through this together. See, think, pray on this as you wrestle with the heart of God. Because guess what? Even when the rain falls and even when the sun stops shining in our lives, he's with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that even when the worst day comes, You're right by our side. Even when doubts, questions come, you invite us to be honest about those. And God, help us to to inch closer and closer towards your example, Jesus, of being prayerful and being accepting. And thank you for your grace for those days and those moments where we're more like the disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.